just finished up talking with Terrence Hannum of Locrian. It was a pretty awesome conversation, and uh, if you noticed, I'm doing these introductions separately now, which uh, for the foreseeable future, I think, is how I'm going to roll. I like it. It kind of um, sets apart the conversation from all this uh, you know, BS of saying, hi, my name is Mike, this is Everything Went Black Media. You know, and uh, yeah, check it out on uh, you know Facebook and Twitter and all that sort of jazz. And it sort of, uh, you know, keeps the flow of the conversation going. So with all that said, this podcast is brought to you by Savage Gold Coffee, which is my coffee company. And if you dig strong coffee, check it out at savagegoldcoffee.com. You can use EWB2112 on checkout to get a nice little discount on your order. Also, we have affiliate sponsorships with Datsusara, Onnit, and NatureBox. Datsusara is a hemp gear bag, t-shirt, jujitsu gi company. If you're into all that sort of stuff, go check out their site. You can get there from the Everything Went Black Media website. Just look at the portals, click through, and I get to wet my beak on some of your sales. You know, I get a little percentage. So yeah, I'd just like to start off and say that, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of Locrian and um, I got into you guys a couple of years ago, maybe about three years ago. Uh, you know, we're on the same record label, that's uh, Relapse Records, and uh, I was down at the office and they gave me a bunch of promos and a bunch of vinyl, and uh, some of the stuff was, uh, you know, a couple of your records. Okay. And uh, yeah, I was pretty much blown away by it, and uh but you guys have been around for a relatively short period of time, but you seem to have a lot of releases out. That's 10 years this November. Oh, that's a, that's a fairly substantial amount of time to be together. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Wow, time flies. We're, ce- we're celebrating our 10-year anniversary in November, um, and it's been... I mean, we started out as a duo, but um, in 2005, we added Stephen Hess on drums, and electronics so it's been it's been an, an interesting ride definitely so what is the basic uh, instrumentation like what's the you know it's a three-piece now what, what are the roles that everyone takes on in the band so andre uh plays guitars um and he you know as you never know what's going to happen <laughs> so he's he runs it through a lot of effects and um you know a few years ago we were he purchased an ARP avatar synthesizer, um, which is an old analog um, synthesizer that translates um, guitar sounds into voltage, mm-hmm. kind of 
horribly, really poorly. It was kind of the downfall of the art company. So you never know what's going to happen with Andre and what ideas he's going to bring to the table. And um, and then I play, well, Steven plays all the drums, um, percussion. He does a lot of electronics with samples. Um, on the new record, um, there's like some timpani. There's, you know, his normal kit. Um, and then we we mic like a fence um that became an interesting sound on one of the tracks um so and then i play all the synthesizers pianos um and do all the vocals uh and sometimes i'll do like some samples or you know uh tape manipulation or, or what like cut up tape stuff but most of the time i'm just playing keyboards and doing vocals yeah, that's one of the coolest things about the band is that, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff on Relapse, you know, I'm just going to use that as a reference point. It's like, you know, a bunch of dudes, drums, bass, guitars, you know, vocals, pretty standard. Um, but with uh, with Locrian, you know, it's a totally open, you know, sort of uh, plane of ideas that seem to be yeah. translated into the records. I mean, I think when we got on Relapse that the band Zombie was kind of the band that we looked to that were like well that kind of makes a little bit of sense uh, right. for us um, I mean not that we sound like them or anything but you know using a lot of analog synthesizers and kind of concept albums and these prog references that I always kind of picked up on in their music but you're right a little bit you know there's uh, there's kind of like the standard metal setup right <laughs> and, yeah. uh, but you know I mean Relapse has an interesting history of you know I look. I think back when I was like a teenager, and they were still running um, release records, right? And, um, the more experimental like imprint house and stuff, and putting out Murs Bow and Eight Tracks More again, Angel of Decay or uh, or uh, Dead World. Actually, that was Jonathan's band before Angel of Decay. And, um, I think about those records as things that I remember challenging my perception of what extreme music was. You know. So where, where and when and how did the band form? So around 2005, um, Andre and I were in another band called Unlucky Atlas. Um, and uh, he had this other kind of more technical death metal band um, called Hexacron. It was really good. And um, we had had a lot of conversations about metal and extreme music and things that we liked and things we didn't like and at that time you know we were in Chicago and um, you know the metal scene was kind of it was there but it wasn't that strong um, you know there wasn't like there's was a, a few bands not a lot of bands and getting a show even having some success and getting shows at certain venues was a little bit harder um, and then I'd say around that time things started to change um, and uh the, we were more part of like the noise and the drone and experimental scene so we started that and Chicago just as a kind of as a his band kind of was his other band couldn't do the show and they were kind of falling apart and he was like well we've always talked about trying this drone project and he had this idea like where I think at the time like Sun you know was kind of known for playing very few notes for a long time and we were we kind of were like, what if we play like a lot of notes? <laughs> and so that was kind of like the real dumb, like premise of what we wanted to do. Um, and also a lot of it was like 
how we had, you know, our other band was kind of more of like a dark folk thing. And uh, we were just thinking like, well, how can we challenge ourselves and make something that was exciting to us and, you know, see where it went. And that was, that was really like the basic foundation for it was let's challenge ourselves and make something heavy and extreme, but, you know, kind of in the vein of noise. But in our heads, we were always kind of thinking about, you know, like, what if, what if there was like a weird obituary type of riff, but just with a lot of feedback and screaming, you know, like it was just like really like, what, well, we try it this way and then see if, if it makes sense. And we started to kind of have just some interesting, successful ideas kind of happen. So it was very conceptual. Like we had these ideas and we just would kind of execute it. They weren't like songs, you know, we set up and play for 30 minutes or something and then like be like, well, that's it. That's all we, that's only, that's all the ideas we have right now. <laughs> That's no, interesting. So, uh, in the two piece, two, uh, pardon me, in the two piece okay. incarnation of the band, uh, like, what, what, who was doing what? Like, what was the, you know, Andre was, there... was doing all the guitars, and I, I had like a really primitive drum machine and just a bunch of keyboards, and I had this like fistful of microphones and like pickups that would just be feeding back everywhere, and uh, you know, it was so there was like this kind of, like I think, you know, for me, like I kept thinking about like. I kind of feel like the conversation that certain bands, like um, that black metal band Abruptum is kind of one of my, yeah. probably the most influential black metal band for me. And I always felt like that conversation was like started but never finished in a way. Mm-hmm. And I, I was kind of like, well, you know, what if it's more like this kind of landscape of sound with these elements of some kind of song structure, but then it kind of fades away. And um, so I, I don't know, I, I think... Uh, that was all, all, all that we were doing really at that time. There's um the music definitely has like a cinematic feel to it. I mean, we were talking about um you know Zombie earlier, sure. and uh, you know they're a great band. They're you know one of, in my opinion one of the one of the best bands on Relapse. And uh, yeah, yeah. But, but they they <laughs> definitely your band, of course. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but they definitely have um. Like they're they're disciples of Goblin, in my opinion. You sure, know what I mean. Yeah. And, and I, I don't think anyone will argue that, even the members of the band. And uh, you know, they reference that that sort of you know giallo Italian horror. Sure. Uh, you know, Dario Argento type of thing. Like Fulci, you know. Yeah. Fabio Fritzi. Like I always kind of heard that that guy in, in their sound. But I, but now like this is like before the Death Waltz and the Waxworks and all the labels kind of reissuing the horror soundtracks. So finding all those crazy Italian horror soundtracks was a little bit of work. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I remember like just like searching and then maybe you'd find like a really crummy CD copy at this is really the record store in Chicago called Dusty Groove and you could find like great reggae and really weird like um, dub records and strange soul stuff and they'd have this little tiny film section and occasionally they'd have like these collections of Fabio Fritzi soundtracks or you know, and uh, that was really cool to kind of find that and kind of hear like, oh, like that's the zombie soundtrack. Oh, okay, like yeah. I get it. You know, like when and and with 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 the band Zombie, I always kind of appreciated that because I loved that. When I grew up watching horror films. That was like my, I love the soundtracks. You know, it was yeah, like totally. My favorite parts. You know, you know, but but um, Logrian has. Is definitely not uh, direct, directly influenced by a lot of that stuff, at least in my opinion. I mean, the sure. sound—you guys have a different thing. It's cinematic, but there's, um, you know, it's a different take on that. So, are there any sort of non-musical uh, influences that you guys have? 
Yeah, I mean, um, you know, like each album kind of comes from some sort of, uh, whether a literary source, like a piece of science fiction, or um, this record, the Infinite Dissolution, actually was influenced by um, this journalist named Elizabeth Colbert, and she wrote this book called The Sixth Extinction. Mm-hmm. And it's a really great book. Um, and it kind of gave me a lot of ideas. So that was kind of like a non musical reference that we would stumble upon. I mean, or, or we'd be talking about like J.G. Ballard's The Crystal World or okay. Samuel Delaney's uh, Dahlgren, which is one of my favorite science fiction books of all time. Um, and, uh, you know, those things kind of use kind of the end of the world or the kind of this apocalyptic scenario was really inspirational for us. I mean, so yeah, it could kind of lend itself to being more of a cinematic experience or more kind of a you know, a narrative of some sort when we get to like writing records or something, we start to like think about like a beginning, a middle and an end and how people are going to, when they press play, what's going to happen as they go through the hour or so of music that we presented, you know? Yeah. And that leads into uh, the series of videos that you guys have. And, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, particularly uh, augury in an evaporating tower. That, that yeah. one. Uh, yeah, is- Alex Sloda did that one. Our friends lives in Berlin and, he actually introduced me to Andre years ago. Uh, we went to graduate school together. He was a photography major, and I was major. I was getting my master's degree in painting and drawing. And um, uh, we just, we're so glad to be able to have him come in. He's done. He did the Eternal Return video for us too, and um, just a, a great guy and really really smart artist. Um, but yeah, he had this idea that was all shot like on the outskirts of Berlin on Augury for an evaporating tower. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, definitely the makes me think of uh, a sort of a psilocybin uh, influenced kind of experience that sure. <laughs> might take you take you out of uh, the regular continuum of your sort of life and sort of catapults you into a different world of fractals and you know visual uh, sort of experiences and uh, that's what grabbed me immediately and and the song. Like the music and the, and the imagery uh, dovetail like uh, you know pretty naturally, I think. Yeah, that was a that was also that one as Andre was playing that ARP Avatar synthesizer when it was working really well, and just bizarre like the sounds you can pull out of it. And it was a synth that was used by like um, the guitar player for Roxy Music and oh, wow. um, Robert Fripp and, uh, and King Crimson and stuff would use these. The synthesizer it was kind of marketed towards like the prog guys you know mm-hmm. but it just you know i use it on this record actually but it, it, you can't plug a guitar into it anymore so i just use it as i controlled it with another moog synthesizer a, a, a moog source that, that we had uh, borrowed from someone and it's just a, it makes just these beautiful spacey weird kind of unpredictable tones and just becomes like a neat little character to have, you know, when you want to introduce it in, in, a, in a song. And Augury was, you know, that was a lot of fun to write with that big, long, noisy intro as it as it breaks into this kind of black metal esque kind of smeary thing. That was a lot of fun to make um, to record that one. Now the the new record, uh, you were saying that uh, the the sixth extinction was an yeah. inf- was an influence on that. So what? Like, uh, you know, I, I'm not overly familiar with that book. I mean, I've heard the sure. title. So what what is the plot of that, and how does it inspire uh, the, the writing of that record? Well, I think, like, 
what we're always looking for inspiration in some way so we, we go in this before we record we'll tend to kind of share like different books that we're thinking about and um we'll um or you know and they, and they can be fiction they can be non-fiction whatever it'll be like art artists that we're looking at like the cover artist is this guy david altmedge and um I, I always bring in like I always print out a bunch of art and I'll, I'll bring it into the studio and just kind of keep it around like visually like orient myself like what I'm where my brain's going and sometimes that's the artist that winds up on the cover sometimes it isn't but um, you know so the books wind up being this nice touchstone for all of us so I read I read it and we were and Stephen and Andre had read it and we were just kind of talking about because it it's really chilling it's kind of, it's a she's a journalist and and. She visits these different sites where different species are kind of going extinct. And in the end, she, she talks about the history of the word extinction, where it came from, um, which is totally fascinating if you're kind of in, if you're interested in that kind of element of science. And, um, and then she talks about, like, um, um, they might sound kind of boring, but, like, it's like, it's like about ocean acidification and, like, these frogs and the Panamanian rainforests are dying out because of this, like, fungus and... Um, it's just like all about like different invasive species and um, what are these subtle ways with which like our encroachment upon different habitats is kind of shifting the natural order and um, I thought that that was really chilling because it's like they're so small like everything is really tiny Um, whether she's at the Great Barrier Reef or um, whether she's um, you know in a cave uh, you know, up in the Catskills or something, and watching like spe- entire species of bats going extinct. You know, like it's like really chilling to think like the kind of cycle that that would mean for the other animals, and that kind of gave us this framework of like you know, I guess for me it was like these kind of elements that are turning against us because of like our own behaviors, and uh, whether it's the water, the air, or the, or the earth. And so throughout the record, these kind of re- uh, references to, like, the air kind of um, getting rid of us <laughs> in a way right. and then being able to become something new because it doesn't have to, like, sustain us anymore. It doesn't have to bother with our presence and, like, or, like, the water or, you know, kind of our insistence upon using certain natural resources past um, where we should be using them, you know. So that was kind of, like, the – it kind of gave us this in to – um, start to think about just like how difficult it is to even like conceive of like what does going extinct even mean and like we can't really we can say it we can talk about it but we really can't imagine what what that means and what will what will lead up to it like it's really that kind of holding that thought in our in our mind and and trying to like do something about it is going to be really it's really challenging well, I mean, the uh, the sort of evidence of extinction is, uh, you know, surrounding us, really, and it's yeah. right under our noses, really. If you think about even just civilizations that, um, you know, might have built the pyramids and the Sphinx and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, they're mysteries, and those people aren't around because no one can explain where they came from, so. Yeah, it's, it's um, one of the sounds I actually, you know, we have a handful of samples throughout the record, and one of the pre-recorded samples I recorded was we were... On a, on a tour and we went to um, St. Louis and outside St. Louis is the Cahokia Mounds like this pre-Columbian civilization they made like 120 mounds like around like the 12th century or something and they just disappeared and some scholars believe it's because 
like deforestation and overhunting. And I, I use the sound of like the wind kind of at the top of the mound of like this extinct civilization. It was obviously like very sophisticated. Um, they had currency, they had, you know, like millions of people living there. Um, and, uh, just to think like that was like a major city in the middle of the United States, you know, what would become the United States. And they're just gone, you know, and like they leave behind this ruin of these mounds and, a few other things that are there and uh it's just crazy to think yeah like when you when you look at these past civilizations like you know what led to that downfall or or whatnot and um you know i think it becomes like i think it becomes harder for us to conceive like that could be us you know well, like at some yeah. point you know it's likely that it's going to be us really yeah i mean if you yeah. just look at the natural cycle of the way things ebb and flow like just on the planet um you know the fact that the mayans are gone the fact that the uh, Sumerians, you know, or, sure. you know, that's, and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. Are you, are you a fan of the Planet of the Apes that, you know, the series of movies that came out, you know, like, so. I, like I kind of like the reboot. I haven't been, I'm, you know, uh, the last one was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoy the reboots, but yeah, the, the original, I mean, I like the original series too, but you know, I mean, I was, you know, but I was skeptical and, uh, but the, what was the last one called? Um, oh, uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, I think, or something. Like that. that was, I thought there was some really impressive moments in there, and it had this kind of Shakespearean, like, uh, thing to it with the, with the interior, like, um, ape colony or whatever. I, I thought, yeah. I was really impressed, um, but, and that kind of does get to some of that, like, right, like civilizations, like ebb and flows and resources and, and the need for them I mean they kind of allude to it throughout that even that film but the original series too you know it's like there's some smart stuff I mean it gets a little bit cheesy in some oh, ways yeah. but, you well, know, yeah, like, it's but a, there's some smart stuff in there yeah it's dated but the concepts yeah. are really interesting even even like in the first Planet of the Apes where they're you know the time travel like where they're well not really time travel but they're in suspended animation and they're exactly you know, blasting yeah. into some other they think they're going to some other universe like light years away you know, yeah. thousands of years into they are tra they're going through time, but they're not really traveling through space. Yeah. But uh, the thing that was impressive about that is when there's like that forbidden zone, which is actually like a, a a city similar to New York or Chicago or DC or whatever. I think sure. actually it was New York because it was Statue of Liberty. Yeah, exactly. And that's where um, you know, the apes don't go in there, and they're just like, yeah, you know, your people. They tell Taylor like, you know, your people, you know, did yeah. this, but. To the, to the ape of that era, the fact that humans even were capable of having a civilization is something beyond any any comprehension. So, I mean, that's, you know, who's to say that this, the Sphinx and the pyramids weren't built by some other type of hominid that wasn't even a human, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I think, you know, there's, there's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, well, obviously there's a lot of those kind of, Theories, right? I mean, I tend to think that they probably were, you know, it, and, and that like human history is pretty long or whatever. Um, but like, you know, but I also think that like thinking about that, like if you were to like step back and think about how we treat our own environment and each other or something like that, you would be, yeah, it's like you can kind of see the abstraction of like how could they have ever made a civil society, you know, like yeah. if you step back and think of the destruction and the kind of greed or whatnot that, that humanity likes to kind of traffic in, 
um, you know, not all of it, obviously, but most of it. Um, I think that, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I could, it, I think that's like a good, that was a clever observation, you know, for, from like that, that franchise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, also, I mean, there's, um, there's a book out there by Graham Hancock called, uh, Supernatural, which is, uh, they, they, sort of starts out as a study on cave paintings and how there's similarities in, you know, depending on where you are, South America, you know, the across the globe, there's a certain epoch where they have these very, very specific similarities between the sure. way people express themselves through the art. Yeah. And the animals are drawn very, very detailed and very, um, you know, clear clearly they're drawing like a cow or a horse but yeah. the the humans are these kind of like bizarre looking um you know creatures with like yeah. bolts coming out of their heads and these like weird <laughs> so i don't know man it's like we might not have looked the same back then i don't know who knows no, or maybe no, there was other yeah. other beings you know that you know sort of uh in, in co-inhabited the, the planet with us back then you know yeah it's one of those like didn't Werner Herzog do that documentary from inside of the oh, yeah. like the French cave or whatever mm -hmm. that uh, started to ask some of those questions yeah. about like or origins and whatnot? Um, I can't remember what that's called, but it was a, it was a good one. Yeah, I think it's called like Cave of Dreams or something. Cave of Dreams, yeah, because yeah. he did it in like three D. Yeah, yep. yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. yeah. But uh, a lot of this stuff, when I listen to you guys' music, a lot of it, <laughs> this is the kind of stuff I think about, you know? Really? That's oh, great. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like, I, I'll, like, put this on, and Success. it's like, you know, I'll sit in a dark room and, like, kind of meditate on all these ideas. Good. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, you know, like, I think that's, like, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, that's one of the things that we tend to think about is, like, trying to give people some content and... These are the things that kind of bother us at night, I guess. And like, and you know, I think that um, you know, when we when you get to like extreme music, it's like you get to talk about things that maybe other people don't get to talk about what they're doing, and um, you can kind of hopefully get people to think. I mean, you know, in, in some way, or or leave them this palette that they can kind of figure something out with you know and uh you know I, I think that that's definitely like my goal is that it's more about you know most of our i mean you know, i'm talking about elizabeth colbert's book but there's like nothing in it that's like quoting her you know like yeah you know it's, it's it's just like this was like the doorway for us to kind of have this conversation that led to like well what if the world did what if like the earth really did kind of like have humanity go extinct and what would happen and like what would why would we not like halt our behavior in a way and um and not go extinct you know <laughs> like um and i think that uh it, it it you know i think there's been some interesting articles about like the this idea of like the anthropocene or whatever like the kind of the end of the end of humanity the era of the end of humanity or whatever um which i think has been really kind of fascinating yeah, I mean, actually, most of our planetary history, humanity wasn't even part of that. I mean, we're like... Exactly, yeah. When you get down to, like, the geologic and start thinking about deep time or whatever, which, you know, it's like, you know, we're just like a blip. <laughs> I think it was, uh, yeah, it was on, I think I was watching uh, the new Cosmos with Neil deGrasse yeah. Tyson. And he, he had, like, this, um, you know, sort of clock 
where, uh, you know, from 24 hour clock and like midnight is like the current time or whatever, or where we're at right now, like our current, you know, his historical position. And, um, so like all of human history fit between like, you know, the last five minutes before midnight or something like that. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, you gotta think like, like to even, you know, and like how hard is it to even like conceive of that? You know what I mean? Like that we're just yet a species like another one that will you know kind of probably i mean you know overstay or welcome at some point um whether it's through you kind of all these species that we're kind of killing off with with you know petrochemical industry or you know dumping stuff into the ocean on treating the oceans really bad or whatever right like you know we're just like this kind of blip and uh, but it's so hard to think like well we should probably fix this that's you know like there's no real push there's like you know like you know like in america people still you know there's like people still want to deny climate change and you're like are you kidding like really this is this is happening this is really happening you know like and uh you know but but like there's no like real sense of urgency about like well could we turn it around or could we fix it in some way to where you know you know, look at like California and the droughts and, and this kind of water shortages on the West Coast. It's like, it's pretty nuts. I mean, but it's not like it wasn't predicted. <laughs> you know, people were saying this is what could possibly happen. And, you know, we just kind of could continue doing what we got to do, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it, may, it makes me think about like the uh, the idea that, uh, you know, how, how very close we are to chimpanzees and... <laughs> Yeah, and how chimpanzees are pretty, you know, are pretty, pretty dark, evil sort of uh, creatures that sort of reflect our own darkness, you know. But there's like this like microcosmic view, like it's like well, we gotta survive, and then we start to just think about like the small aspect of like ourselves, our family, our friends, and like like well, I'm gonna make it to the end of this whatever it is, and like I think that we're not seeing like the bigger picture, or we're not thinking about others you know like in, around the world um and like you know i think uh or kind of like that big picture of the future about you know what's really going to be left for you know it's like this immediate sense of survival and not this kind of long-term sense of survival that we don't really have it kind of imprinted in us you know we're kind of like yeah well but we'll make it <laughs> like everybody i know is going to make it but you know three generations after that i don't know i won't be here you know <laughs> so you know it's it's uh I don't know, it's a little bit cynical, but I think it's what makes us effective in some ways or something, you know. Are you familiar with some of um, the ideas about the singularity and, like, you know, Ray Kurzweil's ideas of uh, being able to, like, upload your consciousness into this, like, computer, you know, program? Yeah, I, heard, I don't know it very well. I mean, I've heard of it, but that sounds, that sounds interesting. Well, I think that apprehensive. <laughs> I think that yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm apprehensive too. But also, I just think that uh, you know the kind of hubris that humans have about well, why is it so important to do that? You know what I mean? Like, why do we have to be immortals? You know, like I think is that a good even a good thing for us to have? Like, yeah, you know, this like un, unlimited lifespan. You know, and and uh, you know, a lot of that whole thing is is very fear fear driven. You know, and and sort of. Yeah, ego I mean, you know, fear we're motivated right by like that fear of death that fear of like you know of our of our death I mean you know that's that's the motivating factor right and um so trying to like prolong it in some way is like always going to be you know and I think that there's been 
this really great science fiction writer I like. Her name is Nancy Cress, and um, she wrote um, this book called Fountain of Age. It's kind of a collection of short stories, and a lot of it deals with like genetics and longevity, and it's, it's really really smart um, stuff about like kind of like she looks her field of most of her writings about like. Um, that the future is going to be dominated by like prolonging life and through genetic perfection and um, and they're really kind of I mean they're pretty much dystopian uh, stories and stuff but um, like I, I always just thought when I started finding her work just how smart that was to find that angle and, and use genetics and kind of um, prolonging life as this kind of analysis on you know like our fear of death or you know, the desire to kind of pass along certain uh, genetics or, or whatnot. And I think, uh, um, you know, that, that definitely is like that, like, motivating, at least in the short term, like, our motivating factors, right? That's what biology tells us. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, like, really, like, what the whole point of, I mean, on a biological sense is to kind of keep your DNA moving forward into the future. and. Yeah. You know, so that that's like our biggest motivation. You know, it's kind of like why everything happens, really. That's why we build like cars and skyscrapers and sure, like, you yeah. know, computers and everything. You know, is to make sure that our DNA gets moved, you know, into the future. Yeah. Know? Um. So, like, all of the begin back to the videos. Sure. <laughs> you know, no, I know this is kind of a digression, but actually, one of the things I want to ask you too before I get away from that too is. Sure. Is um can you you should send a, a list actually of some of these books and I could post yeah, no it problem. Yeah, yeah, you know definitely. A, along with the episode notes or something I think you know yeah, other course. people would be interested in checking it out because some of these authors I haven't heard of so yeah you know I think you know right now I'm reading this guy James Vandermeer uh, did you guys have you read him yet no I haven't he wrote this he he's written a lot I mean the guy's been writing science fiction for a long time but um, he him and his wife and a few other writers are part of this new weird movement and he's probably most famous for this book called um, uh, this trilogy called the Southern Beach Trilogy and um, it's it's been pretty fascinating um, I, it's like about this zone in Florida it's like has essentially like a consciousness and they like don't know if it's like an alien or if it's like a earthbound form but it's like the landscape changes and they're sending these scientists and there's like teams of them that go but they don't come back or they'll like come back and they you can't escape the zone but they'll like suddenly just appear in their like hometown but like have no memory of what happened to them and it's pretty amazing it's really really smart and um i've only like two-thirds of the way through this trilogy but i've been really really impressed with uh, with it and um, I, I, I feel like I should have known about this for a much longer time. It's a great, it's a great book and a great series. I'll, I'll send you the, I'll send you the link. But um, there's a, there's a record in there somewhere that I'm, I, I, nice. I'm like, this is so awesome, you know. So when you say new weird fiction, do you mean like, uh, you know how like there's like there is kind of like a movement that's sort of uh, inspired yes, yeah. by like Clark Ashton Smith and H.P. Lovecraft and. Yeah, it's definitely coming out of that. Like I know, I definitely sense like a. You know, and I know that that's kind of their, one of their things they get compared to is like H.P. Lovecraft or whatever. A lot of the writers kind of come out of that, at least as far as I understand it. And um, I, I definitely get that. Like, you kind of get this um, almost like, like you don't know what the what the land is, you know, but it, it's like aware and there's like these primordial creatures and 
and it's like intelligent and it's like writing things to you and like the funguses and stuff and really creepy and you know it definitely has this kind of like the landscape and this primordial pre-earth thing it's really neat like really yeah but it definitely has a kind of lovecraft lovecraftian um atmosphere um but you know like there's a little more about science and psychology and like it's it's um it's it's good i mean and yeah it's science fiction but yes they 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 call it the new weird because it's you know there's it's not it's not like a Robert Heinlein or Larry Niven or something like that, like where it's like science the yeah. most of the time, you know? It's like, yeah, like technology-based, um, you know, this is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely like a lot more character development and um, it's also kind of neat because like the main characters, at least in the, in the first book, are, are all women and they're all female like scientists, psychologists and like kind of experts and in their fields and they're sent into the zone and it, uh, it just kind of messes with them in these different ways. And they, um, I thought that was really unique. Kind of reminded me a little bit of like that movie, the descent, like oh, yeah. kind of sent into mm-hmm. this area and they, it's like this internal conflict and then the external, it's great. It's good stuff. I mean, I really, I'm we're talking about a few minutes now. I do recommend it. And, and if you like Lovecraft, you'll probably enjoy a lot of that, a lot of this new weird genre. Like it's definitely, has some kinship with it, definitely. Yeah, I find that probably, I mean, I've read a couple of these, uh, like, mainly short stories. I haven't really yeah. la- latched on to any specific authors, but um, there's a thing, the thing that ties them back to that original weird fiction is the primordial element to some of the storylines. Sure. Like, there's, like, you know, this, you know, pre-human or yeah. for- forgotten gods or some sort of, like, uh, you know, civilization that's like a prehistoric civilization that was never you know that was like obliterated and there was no yeah. tra- and they went in, they went underground and you know we're back, we're back. we've circled back around yeah <laughs> to like what we were talking about earlier yeah that stuff's fast fascinating though man i mean that's yeah. you know I've, yeah. I've been doing a lot of like sort of research and you know i'm, I'm interested in egypt you know and that's yeah. like having egypt as a, a modern country is like having you know Sumer as like a fucking sure. modern. No, you think about it, yeah, definitely. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, but but also like it's you know the the age of like the Sphinx and all that, and there's a pretty clear indication that the civilization of Egypt that's historical has nothing to do with the civilization that built any of these like structures out there. Interesting. So like, what? Who was that? What was yeah. their story? Do they have cars? <laughs> you know, do they fly around <laughs> in jets? You know, did a comet come and, like, destroy them, you know, or they kill themselves? Was there, like, a disease that wiped them out or something like that? Like, those – these are all the things I think about. There's a – um, <laughs> like, a, an, a, there's a series called Magical Egypt, and they okay. uh, they kind of talk about – <laughs> they kind of talk about a lot of that stuff. And it's uh, – I think you could find it on YouTube. It's, like, a multi-part, yeah. you know, sort of thing. And, um, yeah, I mean, even historical Egypt is very interesting, too. I mean, they were, they were into all kinds of, like, you know – their their pantheon of gods, I think, is really interesting yeah. in their religion. Yeah, yeah. this kind of animistic human humanoid combination gods, which I always thought was really fascinating. Um, right, like part bird, part man. You know, yeah, like, um, really, really fascinating stuff. That's real, uh, real similar to like some South American, um, yeah. you know, mythologies with, uh, you know, the sort of combination of, uh, animals and, you know, and, and humanoid, uh, you know, or even like some of the tier, like Greek gods, you know, like where there's like 
not the primal, not the primary tier, but like the secondary and tertiary tier of like Greek Greek gods that are like or like mythological figures that are like part part man, you know, part you know beast or whatever. Yeah. Um, and there's definitely like that uh, that kind of hybrid hybridization of like your myths. It's always kind of been fascinating to me. Yeah. So um, just uh, going back to the videos again. Sure. The, uh, so how many? There's, you had one particular artist that did a couple of your videos? Yeah, we, we had a few. Um, we were trying with, like, Return to Annihilation. We were trying to have, like, a video for every song that wound up... I, wound, I think we were one song short, like, in the end. It was my fault. I was supposed to put all... It was going to be four artists putting everything together, and just, like, I just ran out of time. And then, the you know, the record cycle was kind of done, and it was, like, really hard to kind of get that momentum back, like... And, um... But but we had most of the songs on the video for Return to Annihilation. Was there a sort of a theme with all the videos? Because it does seem like there's some kind of narrative going on in most of these. You know, I mean, I think we tend to, like, pull people together that have, like, really similar aesthetics. I mean, you know, there's no budget, like, for these videos, you know? So we yeah. kind of, like, find these artists that we really like or that are our fans or friends of ours and I, I have a, a certain benefit because I went to art school, so I have a lot of friends who are video artists who are interested in music, and I can kind of trade with them for something that they would like and have them make us a pretty cool video. And we're doing it with the, the new uh, record. We're going to have, like, three videos. We have three different artists who are working on videos for this one. Um, and uh, we just saw the first one. It looks really good. And... Um, I know the other two are still being edited, so we're. I'm. I'm. I'm always excited because I kind of give everyone total control. I mean, like you know, we're, I'm not gonna like tell someone that's doing something for free to like edit it down. You know, yeah, like, yeah, you can't do that. Yeah, you know, I tend to trust. We tend to trust everyone that does something for us, and um, you know, I think that it, it's been. You know, we we lucked out a lot and had some great people that just kind of got what we we're going for and really came with their own vision. Um, I think that's really important. I mean, you know, they could take kind of a theme and transform it into something else. We've had some some really great ones, you know. How is, uh, you know, Relapse reacting to that? Because I know that there are a lot of times, like, just with our experiences, they want to have, like, you know, live footage of the band, like, playing, you know, like, stuff like that. I mean, Yeah. Um, well, I have to do my, I, I still have to do, like, my art. Uh, I'm going to do, like, a little video about the artists that we selected and um, talk a little bit about, like, you know, we always tend to pick, like, um, like fine artists who show in galleries and museums and um, uh, talk a little bit about why. It's all Sonic Youth's fault. Um, when I was a kid listening to, like, Dave Jim Nation, like, yeah. I'd look into the Gerhard Richter painting on there and be like, well, who's that? And I, that was before the internet, so I didn't know who the heck that guy was. And, like, you know, I'd go and, like, find a book on Gerhard Richter and be like, oh, man, this guy's awesome. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a way that I got introduced to a lot of, like, these artists that influence me today, you know? And, um, you know, it's kind of one of the things I think I'll probably address, like, you know, whether it's Raymond Pettibon on Black Flag record covers, you know, that really kind of, like, give you this, you know... I mean, I still remember when you get the SSD catalog and you could buy the zines for, like, two or three bucks or something like that yeah and um I didn't I don't know what was wrong yep. with me why did I buy those <laughs> but, uh, I know right yeah like ah 
I worked I worked at a gallery in Chicago, and on one day um, they were selling a complete collection of his zines. Oh man! And they were like, "Well, Terrence, you know, they knew I make a lot of art zines." And they're like, "Well, we're not selling them until the end of the week, so if you want to like go and just sit down on your break and like take a look through them, <laughs> I, did, like, I just kind of like unpacked them all, like every single one, and with my glo- with gloves on, you know, and just was like, "This is." Why didn't I get these things? Because I, I, you know, I don't think they sold for, you know, not as much as like a, a giant drawing of Raymond Petty Vons, but you know they're very important historically, you know, like and um, for punk obviously, but also just for like you know zines and printed printed matter or whatever. It's like one of those important, uh, you know, they've influenced I mean so many people, but um, you know, so you know those things kind of make that impression whenever I. I don't know, whenever I, like, think of a record cover, I'm always like, well, what's, like, that kid who has a terrible internet connection in the middle of nowhere, and he gets that record? It's like, what clues can I give that person to, like, find all these other weirdos that I, that we like, you know? And, um, and that's one of those things, like, to, you know, try and leave that little trail of breadcrumbs to some of those artists that are doing really weird and interesting things. Yeah, Pettybone, like I gotta be honest, like I the um I would say forty percent of the reason why I got so so obsessed with Black Flag had to do with the artwork or the albums. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean and then you it's like and there's even like crazier ones or weren't anybody's covered. You start to see these drawings, you're like, Jesus, this is weird <laughs> you know, and and uh I just love like how the image would kind of maybe it would refer to the text and most of the time it wouldn't you know like it'd be like this na- long narrative and then this you know an image of a, you know like a like a drugged out you know ex-hippie or something and like this weird narrative about like you know regret in the Catholic Church or something yeah. and you're just like oh my gosh like I don't even know like I don't know when you're like a like a teenager you know you're like whatever it's like you have to start kind of processing these two different pieces of information and you know it's, I always thought it was really clever and you know and really smart you know that's that's exactly it man and I've become very you know disillusioned with like a lot of like what people consider punk and hardcore these days and uh sure yeah. you know I mean I haven't really I mean like I think the 90s like 99 was like the last time I really considered buying a hardcore record you know as far as like the la- in my opinion like the last like great era of like hardcore was like when Mad's a Bastard and like you know Dead Guy and like Kissing Goodbye and those bands were, were doing their thing yeah no those were Dead, Dead Guy was very important to me and um, Rorschach I remember just like those things I mean they I mean I guess that like, they kind of led you back to metal like to me like I kind of got a little bit disillusioned with metal because I just felt like what de- I grew up in Florida so death metal kind of reigned supreme yeah and like and I just felt like I'm never gonna play like you know like, like Trey Azic or yeah, something like that yeah be like that guy that guy's genius maybe not so much now but uh you know <laughs> like he's he is a genius he's totally weird um, you know, but I'm never gonna play like him. I can't. Like I'm not. I'm not gonna do that. I play guitar, you know, at, at that time, and I remember just being like, so like, uh, what am I gonna do? And getting into hardcore was like, you can still play something that's extreme and fast and whatever. And like, 
I think that there was like those bands like Rorschach or Dead Guy and then um, you know later on Kiss It Goodbye um, those bands got me back in the human remains actually oh yeah man totally you know? and, yep. and I I, mean, I I still think human remains holds up like really well um, and um, you know there's there is some really good stuff at that around that that, that era that you're saying and I'm always careful though I don't want to say like there's no I mean because I really like like that era of kind of in um a few years ago like that band like Cult Ritual and um Sex Vid and those kind of weird noisy really abrasive hardcore bands that were just kind of you know coming out hardcore in this really weird subversive way and they all were totally short lived and just you know messed up um I, I was always really thankful I got to uh catch some of that um but yeah you know I think that I mean, I think for me, like like you're saying, like that era of hardcore, there was like a, a few bands that really stood out, um, and uh, and then I think I don't know, I think I just I got a little more comfortable with, you know, I found out about a lot of the kinds of music around the same time when I was maybe around twelve or thirteen, and and that was everything from you know listening to Mud Honey to listening oh, to yeah. um, Einstein and Neubauten mm-hmm. and kind of understand that there's a lot of stuff happening around the world that's really interesting and and the frustrating part was that you know you couldn't get off it you know like you couldn't you hear about this band and it was like i mean you know you wouldn't be able you weren't able to like grab anything you know because they were maybe underground or um you know i didn't have a job <laughs> you know so it's like you can only spend so much on a side dub my, my friend's older sister's tape so like you know, I have like these weird tapes of like Gigi Allen's Hated in the Nation on one side and like Beat Happenings Jamboree on the other. It's totally mess. I, mean, I didn't know. I didn't know that you're like, those are distinct things. Like, I didn't know. I was just like, oh, it's just weird. Like, I like it because it doesn't sound like anything that's on TV and, you know, the radio. And it was challenging, you know, I, at least at the time, you know. Yeah, um, Beat Happening was great, man. I remember I've seen it like, a couple times. Yeah, I mean, I think Beat Happening's best is like Dreamies, like my favorite of theirs. Like where I, I, I really like that record a lot. I mean, I'm always going to have a special place for them because it, it definitely also challenged like that kind of macho attitude that I felt around a lot of like the punks and the hardcore kids and the metal yeah. kids I knew. Like it felt, it felt like to me like refreshing to kind of make really weird music that people could get so easily offended by. You're like it's just like a pop song, like <laughs> calm down, and like uh, I just I found that interesting, and and then you know getting into things like you know Mersbau and um, Masona and kind of finding all this stuff out that was happening kind of underneath this surface that was way more challenging than you know maybe what you had been listening to, um, you know, and and that slow kind of like into Throbbing Gristle and maybe into White House and. You know, you kind of find all this extremity, like wherever it is, and um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, and then you, I made my piece with metal. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, really, it was it was black metal was the thing that kind of like brought me back, I guess, a little bit. That was like the thing, like Emperors in the Nightside Eclipse. Yeah, uh, it's great. Was record. like, like okay, this is definitely interesting you know um and uh and i still like i I still love that record still listen to it and um you know like there's i think a lot of that 
I mean, I never really got so much into the whole mythologizing around it. Like, I just really enjoyed, like, the records. And um, when you find them, and, and then it got easier, I think, you know, obviously as the Internet kind of became more of a part of our lives, um, you know, and, and you had some more access to it. Um, and before everyone, like, I don't know, got back together and made crappy records and whatever, like, like you know, it's, uh, I think that... that that did it for me. So what was it specifically about black metal that you liked? I mean, because uh, there is a lot, there's like a noise crossover with black metal, it seems like. Yeah, you know, I think, I mean, well, like I guess at abrupt, when I first heard that, I was like, how, like, this is a record I've always wanted to hear, you know? And that's like such a great feeling. Um, I think it was because it was about atmosphere. I mean, that really was, was it to me. It was like, there's an atmosphere, like when you put on Transylvanian Hunger. Yeah there's an atmosphere like you hear it you get it it feels like i know i mean i'm and for years you know like my friends would be like that sounds like shit you know it's terrible i'm like you just don't you don't get it like they meant to do it it's intentional you know like and it's you know i don't know i, I thought to me like that approach or even like some of like those early burzum records was just like it's beautiful like what he's trying to do you know like i mean despite being a really shitty person like there's this beauty to this aesthetic and i mean i felt that way with gorgoroth i felt i mean it's like i know that probably those guys probably wouldn't say it's beautiful and they're trying to make something that's really ugly but like in the end it's like this kind of like tremolo picked fuzzed out guitar and you know it's just like yeah it sounds like flying saucer attack and I, that's you know like but really aggressive and this guy's how i don't know like that's really what it was for me it was like I don't really care about what they were saying. I just kind of really was like, all right, this is a really interesting atmosphere. It's like, it's like when you, I don't know if you were listening to like, like with Throbbing Gristle, it's yeah. just like how Throbbing Gristle would make you feel so gross yeah. and like, like um, slimy or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh yeah, it's, definitely. It's like yeah. this tangible, it's like the air changes in the room when you put on, you know, like second annual report or whatever. You're like, yeah, oh, this is, oh my gosh, I feel so dirty. And like, and, and, but then it's like so fascinating and there's like interesting things being said and there's interesting sounds and you can pick it apart. And it's like, that's kind of what I'm always interested in. It's like, who can, who can, you know, how can you do that? I mean, I think, I think atmosphere is attained in, you know, old blues recordings too. Like, you know, like, um, like a Bentonia blues recording, you know, like, um, Skip James or whatever like it has like a tone to it you put it on and it, it's like there's no pretense you know it's just, this is very intentional this sound one person in their guitar and this certain way of recording that comes across and you can kind of like kind of slip into it and be like yeah like I, at least for me like I can get it you know you mentioned earlier that uh, you went to art school uh, yeah so what where did you go and like what was your your study um, like what was your degree in and that kind of stuff so I went to um, uh, graduate school at the School Art Institute of Chicago, and um, I studied painting and drawing, but at that school, at least at that time, I, I'm pretty sure still, it doesn't really mean anything like what you pick or what, what department you get into. Um, you can, what was awesome was I came from a really small liberal arts college, and um, was it's had some limited resources um and i got there and it's like you can do whatever the hell you want you you as a graduate student could be like all right i want to make neon and you could take a neon class and like learn that 
um, or you could work with a video art professor about video installations or performance art or work in the foundry because there was a foundry there. Um, that kind of like, I didn't do all of those things. I just was like, knowing that you could was pretty awesome because I came from a really small liberal arts college, like 1,800 students. So that was like really inspiring to me was to be like, if I have an idea, I could figure out with these amazing faculty and other grad students, like I could figure out how to execute this idea or I could help someone execute their idea if I have the knowledge of that they're looking for it. That seems that seemed really exciting to me at the time. And I mean, it was, it was great to go to a school like that and just be like, whatever you wanted to make, like someone was going to help you out and figure it out. I mean, it doesn't mean it was going to be good, but you know, like just to be able to like, you know, if you wanted to get really good at welding or, you know, ceramics, it's like you could take the class, have an advisor and, you know, really focus on that and make, make, make this body of work that, you know, I think in the end, I mean, people take seriously. That was really exciting. But also my work at that time was like painting and drawing. Like it was, I kind of stuck with it and, um, it started to change when I left school. I started to get, I, I kind of started to show more of my video artwork and installations. Um, and then I did like a series of collaborations. I did a collaboration with Sun, like this three channel video installation I did with them. And then, um, I did a collaboration with Purient, like this double video installation from a set that he did. And then, um, another video of Burning Star Core. Um, see Spencer Ye, like his, he's like a violinist. Um, and they're all people I knew just kind of like from noise, metal scenes or whatever and um, started videotaping their their um, live sets and making these installations and then kind of led to like most of my works about music or music ephemera and now I'm just, I'm making like um, kind of collages with old audio tape Oh, wow. Interesting. Um, so I'm, like, peeling the audio tape and making these ab- abstracts. They're not really paintings. They're more co- they're more collages, but um, they kind of look like paintings from afar, but when you get up close, you'll see that there's, like, maybe like a, a bit of leader tape in there, like pink or blue leader tape, and then um, can kind of lead you into the clue that it's some kind of destroyed or preserved audio media. Um, so that's been most of my focus lately. I, I get uh, notifications on like Twitter and some email thing about these like uh, projects, these like projects that you have come, you know, like, periodically something comes out that you yeah. are involved with. <laughs> so what what are those exactly? I mean, I try to, I like read, I read the emails. I'm like, I don't really understand what the fuck this is. So. Oh, I, um, like uh, the art stuff I've been doing? Yeah, yeah, the art stuff. Well, um, well, I've been, I've been making like a lot of zines. I've always kind of been like a, a zine art bookmaker. Yeah. Um, so I've been I've, I've been doing a kind of while I'm making these big collages uh, with cassette tape, I'll tend to kind of um, make these weird little booklets, Xerox zines of you know pieces of tape, ephemera, like the slip sheets. Have you ever broken up a cassette and then inside's like that black, like uh, mylar yeah. material? It's like this weird abstract form, like with two holes in it for the gears and stuff. Yep. So I've been using those to make like abstractions of the Xerox machine, huh. and then um, and then I'll just take things like the last set of zines I did. I took like I just tried to take like things that I wouldn't normally focus on. So I took like the J card from 
Fleetwood Mac's Tusk. <laughs> and okay. uh, Chicago's 17, which is a horrible record. Tusk is a great record. I mean, I, Fleetwood Mac's a great band in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're good. Yeah. Um, but Chicago, not so good. Um, <laughs> so, so I just was like, I had this stuff sitting around. I mean, these weird symbols and kind of arcane things that they used to put on tapes. And I just kind of was like, well, I'm going to focus on those and try and blow them up and manipulate them in the Xerox machine. And so, so I used like the Dolby noise reduction logo and, and messed around with that one and one zine. And then um, another one was like all the little slip sheets and just like some kind of like another way to get your ideas out. And um, <clears throat> there's been like, you know, like I kind of like look back to like Raymond Pettibon, right? Like he was like making these small edition weird zines of drawings just like selling them kind of cheap and there's like this kind of democratization of like art in a way like you can make a zine and like everyone can participate in a way um, where like if I make a collage that's like one person could have that you know rather than like 50 or whatever Um, so I kind of think of it that way like a way to kind of if people are interested in what I'm doing like they can kind of get a zine or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not it's not a you know an exclusive like one of a yeah. kind thing. It's like a production production. You can make. Yeah, I don't think anything wrong with. I mean, obviously, I make like these pieces and I sell them or whatever. But like, um, this is like a way to kind of like I'll have these ideas. Maybe I don't know what I want to do with it yet. Like it's kind of like a, it's kind of like how I think visually. Like I kind of make these booklets and I think like how am I going to walk you through this weird process and tell this kind of story and experiment and like like a j card from fleetwood mac probably isn't going to make the best painting but it might have some really cool little elements i can play around with and make some another interesting pattern it might feed into a painting or a composition like later on but um that's kind of what i tend to do with it <laughs> no it's cool it's interesting i just yeah. wasn't sure what they were yeah, like thanks I... for asking yeah i do a lot of like I teach in a lot of my classes too. Like I do a lot of bookmaking with my students and zine making, and um, you know I really think it's important for like, especially art students, kind of feel a little bit of like self to be self sufficient in a way, like to make your own publication on your own terms, your, the size you want to make it, and as a way to kind of get your ideas out there. Like maybe it's just like a takeaway, or maybe it's like something you're selling in like a like a zine or a comic shop or something like that. But just to feel like you don't have to be, like, relying upon a publisher, you know, or, or whatever. You can kind of, you can do it yourself. And I think that, obviously, it comes from my, my own history and, like, punk and hardcore upbringing or whatever. But, you know, I think that that's kind of that. I mean, like, you know, there's this longer history of the self-publishing that, you know, goes back really far, especially with, with art books and, like, photo books and stuff like that. But, um, you know, that's been the way that people have done it for a long time and to tie tie that into what you're doing I think is a, a neat way to kind of not be like waiting around for someone else to kind of validate your ideas and, and a good way to get your ideas out and you know you can get some good feedback and refine it you know I think that's important do uh, any of your students know about the band that's always an interesting conversation yeah that's what I figured <laughs> I don't tell them I just kind of feel like it's kind of lame like if I was like I'm in the pants you know no but do they find out about it because I mean kids these days I mean actually what, what age groups do you teach I teach um, predominantly college freshmen and transfers in a design department at uh, Stevenson University here outside Baltimore and um, I uh, you know 
surprisingly, a lot of students, you know, I don't like, I don't like hide it. Like if I go out, like uh, we played Roburn last spring and I was like, well, I have to go to Europe. So I have a sub coming in. And uh, why are you going? I was like, well, I'm in the band. We're playing a festival, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's called Roadburn. <laughs> and so, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, like, surprisingly, like, maybe, like, two students were, like, looked it up on Google. And were, I can't like, believe oh, it. wow, cool. Like, you're in a band. And, Man, and, I know. cannot believe I figured, all right, this is, my, this is my perception of the situation. Art school, college-age kids, the perfect type of person that would be listening to Locrian. You know... You'd be surprised. Uh, but, you know, I, I, mean, I kind of feel like it's like, you know, I'd rather it, I don't know, when I was in school, I did all my homework about my professors. Like, I remember I would like, you know, um, when I was, in, especially when I was in graduate school, before I took any class, I would like Google them and kind of like, what kind of work do they make? What kind of work are they interested in? You know, like, before I went into that class and so I knew what I was getting into. Um, but, uh, you know, most of my students are freshmen and, you know, sometimes, you know, and obviously the college environment's a little bit different than maybe what they were used to where, um, you know, a lot of times in public schools, maybe not encouraged to kind of like ask questions and um, there's not much time to kind of like um, help develop critical thinking skills and whatnot. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. I mean, that's not like a slight against them. It's just a, it's not their fault. You know, when they come in and maybe they're not trying to like figure everything out and look everything up. Um, but then I, I, you know, I always kind of bring it up like you have this device in your pocket right now. <laughs> like yeah. if I ask you about an artist or a designer, you can pull it up right there and you can see them and know what kind of work they make. And um, but you know, I think that you kind of have to. I mean, that's part of my job, I think, is kind of, like, get them used to, like, you need to, research is really important, and there's kind of no excuse nowadays to, like, um, not know, uh, you know, certain things about your discipline and, or who's teaching you, you know, like, yeah. I think that's, you're spending a lot of money to be at these school, at any school, um, and, you know, you should probably know, like, you know, who the people are that uh, are teaching you and what they've done and what they're up to, and, you know, I've had a few students, like, that, um, one of my students, like the first year I was there, he opened up for Thou, um, his thr- his thrash band, and they were pretty good. And uh, they broke up, but they were they were they were pretty good. They were pretty tight, kind of very like you know old school thrash revival kind of sound. But it was neat. They opened up for I went to go see Thou. Yeah, Thou was awesome. <laughs> There's my student's band, and I was like, this is great. You know, like this is really good. Um, but you know, I'd say that the you know the uh, of the metal contingent um you know uh there's there's very few students who are kind of into that um at this school um and uh you know and we tend to i tend to find or the students that are from other majors i I teach in the design department but like i have a there's a bioengineering student who just graduated with like he'd come by like every few weeks and we like i'd see him at shows and stuff and like he he was a fan, I guess, and um, that's uh, awesome. Really into grind. He was really into grindcore, but like we would, we you know, I was like, there's not many other people that you know, kind of get what he's into. Um, so I'd always like sit down and talk with him around lunchtime or something like that about whatever we're listening to and share CDs and files or whatnot, you know. Well, and you say he's a bioengineering student. Bioengineering, yeah, yeah. That makes yeah. sense to, to me. That makes sense because I have a technical degree in engineering, yeah. and you know, you I, know, and I think that like. It's like, and once it's like out there that, that like, you know, 
that, uh, that's what you do. Like, you know, okay, you'll find some students who will be like, like, you know, I, I think more, like, to me, it's just, I don't want that to ever, like, get in the way of, you know, like, I don't, I don't ever, I don't, know, I don't really, like, introduce it just because it's, like, you know, I don't know, wouldn't it be kind of, I don't know, it'd be kind of lame, like, to have the faculty be telling about their band. Or, you know, like, no, no, I, I wasn't suggesting that. Design, man. <laughs> like, I'm here to talk about that, so. Yeah, no, I wasn't suggesting that. I'm not going to lie or anything, but, that, you know, I'll always tell them, but. You know, I don't. I mean, it's we're it's a pretty intense program. It's it's really career oriented for designers. So like, you know, I just try and like, you know, I mean, and I and I do try and tell them like about like finding that balance in your life about what you need. You know, like to be creative, um, to be an artist, and to be really good at your craft, and be really good at you know whatever you're trying to accomplish, whether it's fashion design or typography. It's like you gotta, you know, you know, do you need music or do you need creative writing or do you need you know some other activity that kind of like helps balance out you know what could potentially be a really stressful job um and make you a saner person you know um and um so i tend to use and when we talk about i tend to kind of talk about like managing your time and um having realistic expectations and all that fun stuff So how do you guys uh, perform live, man? I mean, it seems like there's a lot of layers of stuff going on. Like, yeah. Like, how do you do um, that with three people? It seems like you need, like, nine guys up there on stage to do it. Well, I play, like, two keyboards, and then I run. I have, like, two loopers, one for each keyboard, and then I have a looper for my vocals. So I run my vocals through a bunch of effects, too. And Andre is running, like, two different loop stations, and he has, like, a tape delay and... Um, and Steven's using like he has a little sampler um, and uh, I don't know we just tend to try and find the core of each track of the song and um, you know try and not lose sight of that in the, in, in what we're doing um, and uh, you know build up these structures that we can kind of add these layers to while we're doing it live and bring them down and um, you know it is I, I think it's more stressful for Andre than for me because <laughs> he's like He's written like four or five different guitar parts for like one part of the song, and he's like, "Which one do I play?" You know? Yeah, like, I can see that. I, I get it, you know, and uh, I tend to kind of you know I'm at, I like I'm essentially holding down the bass with uh, one keyboard and then a melody or counter melody with another keyboard, um, and um, you know I I tend to feel like it's a lot of sound for three guys and that's kind of how we've always done it it's just like layer it and we improvise a lot even live like we'll have like a bunch of rehearsed parts and we'll have these little sections that we're like this is where we're just going to do this until whatever cue whether it's a drum cue or um, guitar cue or something like that that we'll bring into the next track and um, it kind of like gives us room to experiment and um, we've always kind of done that little improvisational elements Um, uh, so I think that it just makes the live experience, you know, and before, you know, since other guys, Andre and Steven live in Chicago and I live here in Baltimore, um, that, uh, you know, we tend to just have to practice, you know, when we get together. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and just try and come up with something that we, you know, can feel like we'll be able to perform well. And, you know, after a few live shows, like it winds up, you know, no show's the same, you know, I mean, I, I think that we, and that we don't want it to be, but we want every show to kind of have these different dynamics and, different elements that's kind of how we write a lot too like there'll be things we'll improvise on and then we'll remember it and we'll and or like kind of remember it 
and then we'll come back together and be like, there was that improvisation that we did that was really good. It became something. We should come back to that and make that into, make that a thing, a song or a, a more structured interlude. And I mean, we kind of allow a lot of time for improvisation. So you, you played uh, Roadburn a couple of years ago? Uh, two years ago. Two years yeah. ago, yeah. yeah. How was that, man? That's Roadburn's like greatest festival ever, I think. It was amazing. I mean, we were the first band um, of the whole festival. Oh. And um, it was just like, it was awesome. I mean, I mean, it's like the attitude is amazing. And um, I mean, you know, we met fans of ours that have been fan. We've written with these people for years. And they flew in. I mean, they, they didn't fly in just to see us, but they like, here they are from Chile or Israel or whatever. But they're there because Roe Burns is three days of a lot of bands you probably aren't going to see come to Chile, right? Mm-hmm. Or wherever. And um, all in one place. And like, I just, you know, that was just like really meaningful to kind of meet these people that I've emailed with. They bought tapes from us when we ran our tape label or whatever, you know, like that was just awesome. And, um, you know, and then to be able to play and have like these other bands that you're really excited to like meet and to see they're watching you and you're gonna you know, maybe watch them, you know, and um, it was great. You know, just a great festival run extremely well. They're super pro. Um, it just was, this is a great experience, you know, for us. And, um, you know, they, they have a really good thing going there. Um, you guys haven't played that? Tombs hasn't played No, that we yet. played twice, actually. I we just, so. I was like, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's like, I thought you'd have. Yeah, we played uh, this past year, actually. Just, I, I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I saw that. I was like, I, I thought, maybe I misheard you. Uh, you were like, I heard it, it's great. I'm like, but haven't you been there, like, twice? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, then we, we played... <laughs> We played this year, and then we played like I don't know, like maybe three or four years ago. With um, there was there was great both times. The first time we played, I met Tom Warrior, which was really cool. That's like amazing, right? Yeah. Yeah, you meet all these people that you you just you just walk into them like backstage somewhere and uh, yeah. away from Voivod and like all these fucking right? cool think, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was definitely like that. Like you know, seeing Napalm Death. And then seeing them backstage, you're like, and you're backstage because you're supposed to be back there. Yeah, you know yeah. Like, it's like you're at a little room there. You hang out. My you know. uh, my 12 year old self is shitting himself right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, you know, like it, it's like, like, oh man. But and, you know, and, and I think you know, and you know, making friends with bands like we shared a dress room with this band Conan. Um, oh yeah, who were amazing. Yep. Um and. Uh, and uh, other bands, you know, like we were, we played a few dates with True Widow. Oh yeah, um, yeah, I'm familiar with them. I have a couple. They of were records. really, really good. They had a great set, and um, you know, it just was like, you know, I, I mean, we only got to stay for the day we played, but it was still just like this great experience. Um, you know, Corrections House, seeing that was mm-hmm. really nice. The big venue, and um, you know, it just was, and you know, just kind of walked around and seen friends of ours from Chicago and whoever you know like kind of run into them from the states and it's just nice to be somewhere else and you have all these kind of neat bonds and yeah it was it was cool i mean i i I would love to go back and love to do that again it was it was wonderful and the crowd was awesome and you know the sound was really really loud yeah it was yeah it's (laughs) they uh they they went over their decibel level or whatever when we played all my gear 
was like moving all my pedals were like moving away from me <laughs> like as we were playing yeah. like, the first song I like I like it fell back and like it was nuts you know it was so I mean the the bass was just so loud uh, it was it was wonderful I mean I don't know like I, I, I think it's again something super special um, I really like how they're you know I, I'm, I wish I think the next day it was like um, it was like Goblin and um a bunch of other like more I think like Comus or something like that like it was like crazy like really weird not very metal like kind of like cinematic strange folk stuff and I just was like that's brilliant you know what a great way to what a great way to do your second day you know and um, you know expand you know what you know like these are things most people are into anyway you know like, yeah you know it just made so much sense and I mean we had a, we had a play uh, in Belgium the next day but um, it was still great like, we're hoping to get back um, maybe in January to Europe but, oh cool you know. yeah we had uh, the last the last outing over there was uh, the, the tour itself was pretty pretty rough it was uh, pretty poorly organized and uh, it's unfortunate because it was us and Black Anvil touring together over there oh man which is, I think, a solid bill. And yeah, uh, how how long were you guys? Did you guys do that for? Uh, originally, it was supposed to be uh, a pretty full U- European tour, but then I started getting these like gut feelings that things weren't going well with, on the booking side. Yeah. And uh, and I, I was like, you know what, man, we're gonna bail on you know cancel these last dates and let's just make it two like a little, a little over two weeks. And uh, yeah, that's still. I mean, I look at it as a long time. Like I got. My, between my job and I have two kids, it's like going out for two weeks seems very luxurious. Yeah. <laughs> like to me, I'm like, oh, how can I even do that? You know, like, but um, you know, I think I think you kind of have to in Europe, though. It's like, I mean, we did when we went out for Roburn, we just did three dates, man. It was really it was kind of dumb, but we didn't want to like pass up the opportunity. But it, it just hits at like such a bad time. Like I I work at a university and Andre works at a university in Chicago. So it was just like our schedules were not being very friendly to us to get out of there, you know, in April or whatever. Yeah, no, it's understandable, you know, and it's it's worth it going there though, regardless. Oh, man, yeah. you know. I, I don't regret that one bit. It was, you know, like it was a great experience, and I mean, you know, we made some good friends, and you know, got to see some great music, and uh, you know, it was it was awesome. And the next day, I, I was in Belgium, and. Um, it was uh, we. It was just us. This one show it was just us. But before us was a conversation that I had to do with Brandon Stusoy from Pitchfork about black metal. Yeah, I know. I know. I know Brandon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was so weird, man. But uh, but it was really cool because um, the um, I'm I'm trying to remember how, how to pronounce his last name, but uh, um, Christoph. Um, like what's his name? Like uh, the master of the logos, Lord of the Logos guy. Do you know that guy? Yeah, kind of. I think I know what you're talking about. So he was like doing this show. Try to remember. I'm, I'm looking it up right now. So forgive me. Spagel, Spagel or whatever. Christoph Spagel or whatever, right? Guy. Like, so he had doing this art show, and it was really cool. Like I never met him before, and I really like him. But um, you know. So we were talking a lot about, like, black metal. It's kind of weird, like, we're in Belgium talking about black metal and, like, two Americans or whatever. Um, but Christoph, you know, did logos for, like, Abruptum and 
you know, emperor and all this stuff. Like, yeah. uh, so that was really cool. Like, he talked about, like, when he reached out to these bands and was offering them logos and, like, just kind of working with them. And, um, you know, that was really neat to kind of, like, have this nice conversation with him about, about that. And we brought him up on like, in our conversation because he had just been talking about his art down in the this gallery area and having him up there to kind of present this other side of it and especially this creative side of being like a designer essentially and like hand leathering all these things and um it was really cool you know like i think it was a weird night you know <laughs> but it was uh it was great like just to like i mean like you know brandon knows his metal really well and um you know, definitely has some good opinions about, you know, especially, like, when we talk about, like, Amer- American black metal or whatnot. Um, and, uh, you know, that was that was a lot of, that was a fun experience, I think. Yeah, he's, uh, li- he lives in the neighborhood I live in, in here yeah, in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see him around every now and then. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, he's, I like, I like Brandon. He's a nice guy. He used to do yeah. this uh, DJ night. Um, oh, the you Rainbow know, in the Dark thing? Yeah, it's yeah. like, for a while it was, like, at a local you know, spot around here, like on a Thursday or something. And a couple yeah. times I stopped by and checked it out, you know, yeah, I'm not much of a drinker. So going to bars is not really like, yeah, you know, unless there's like a live show or something going on there. Yeah. I don't really hang out there places like that. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> so do you guys do, um, have you done any extensive touring? You know, not really. I mean, everything's been kind of shorter one-offs and then we're going to be, we're in the middle of, planning a long for us west coast tour which we've never done the west coast so that'll be um we're finalizing a lot of stuff um for august okay wow it's um, coming right up and uh it, it's just kind of like we could do the east coast again or we we could go out to the west coast and we kind of felt that like all of our friends out there were just like they've been asking us to come out for so long it's like we need to do it and like I played solo sets <laughs> in San Francisco and stuff, but you know, like I and and I and I was like, we gotta go. Like it's this time, and we uh, you know, we've all been wanting to go back out there, and um, uh, you know, we've all been out individually, but never as a band. So we're kind of like, let's just go, and it's time, and um, you know, it kind of it looks like it's shaping up. We're getting some good stuff, and we're just figuring out support and all that fun stuff. But that's killer. Um, yeah, I'm glad. I mean, it'd be like. 10 days or so that's um, a good that's a good solid you could play like a lot of places out on the west coast in 10 yeah, days yeah I think it'll be it looks like it'll be like Seattle down to I think Los Angeles and then back, and then kind of like looping back with some stuff a little bit further in like maybe Salt Lake City and Boise or something like that okay yeah that makes sense we'll see you know it, it, it'll all it'll all come together and um, I'm looking forward to it you know I think it's about time and we have, you know, a lot of bands that we're friends with there and people that have just been, you know, collecting our stuff since the beginning. Um, we're just doing CDRs and tapes and, you know, single-sided weirdo vinyl or whatever. And, like, it's just, like, the right time. We need to do it. And I'm looking forward to it. It's been... it's It, it, it feels right, like, to kind of get that done. And it's a time we can actually go before, like, I start back up teaching again and all that stuff, you know, like... It's the right, right thing. So you guys are flying in and, you know. Yeah, so it looks like I think we'll fly in uh, Seattle-ish, uh, somewhere northern, and then um, get our van, get the gear, and then play head, head down. And, you know, I think it'll be good. I think 
we'll try and do some fun stuff. We, we know some bands we want to be working with, and we're, you know, just trying to, like, make some, you know, we kind of, like, tend to book the bands that we want to see. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah totally. We, when we play, we're kind of like, yeah, I want to see this band, you know, and, and uh, you know, sometimes they're friends, sometimes there's bands that we, like, listen to that we like to see what, what they like live. We never, you know, and uh, we try to, do the best we can to kind of curate these events you know like so we can at least you know if you gotta like watch a few bands play should be bands you actually want to see you know like yeah 100% and, and it's always nice to be surprised you know like on the other side of it but for the most part it's like it's nice when you can kind of pick some bands that maybe you haven't seen live before but you have a bunch of their records or whatever like who, who are some of the bands can you release that information right now I know people get weird about talking about this stuff yeah no, I mean like you know I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for like um uh, this band Sutek Hexen from San Francisco Bay Area do you know them? no they're like um, just uh, I don't know it's like two guitar players and then a vocalist who does electronics and um, just it's like it's like I don't know kind of shoegazy black metal but not, that sounds like really dumb um, it's way more abrasive and uh I say that because it's like these almost beautiful guitar parts that are just like but really ugly electronics behind it oh that sounds interesting yeah it's really good it's it's not like the it's not like a Death Heaven thing it's kind of oh, like oh no don't even mention that band that, it's kind that's... of it's kind of <laughs> on this other tip you know like it, it's like it's definitely more like experiment they're on like Cold Spring oh they've done some yeah. records on Cold Spring um, I, I would but... never ever in a million years uh, venture that Death Heaven would be playing with you guys <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't, you know, they made a record a lot of people like, I guess, <laughs> or don't like. But, uh, no, a lot of people um, love that, man. That's, that's you know, you know, that's their journey, though. You know, <laughs> it's not, that's not my journey, though, unfortunately, for them. No, you know, I mean, you know, I, I like, uh, actually, I, some of their, I like, I like a lot of their, their, like, first two EPs or whatever, um, and the split they did on the Flunster, um, I liked, and, um, you know, that's one. That's one of the bands is Sutek Hexen. I really think that I'm, I'm looking forward to playing with them. And this band Wreck and Reference, um, I really like them a lot. I think they're in Los Angeles, so we're hoping that we can uh, play with them a little bit. Um, you know, and I really would like to play with Mammifer again. Oh um, yeah, we yeah. did a tour with them through Canada, really short one, um, when we did our collaborative record, and they were really good. Um, and uh, yeah, this is a bunch of bands that I'm like keep my eye on or whatever, and you know it's be nice to play with them. You know, uh, this guy in LA called Hive Mind, kind oh, of yeah. noise guy. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Yep, yeah, definitely. And uh, all synths, and I love that guy's records. Like, they're just it's like I don't know, they're like dirgy, weird black metal esque like synth records. Yeah, like, really weird. And um, I, I like his label. He puts on a lot of really good like noise and power electronics and ambient stuff. And um, I kind of keep my eye on what Gray is up to. He used to live in uh, the Detroit area before he moved out to L.A. And we played a few shows with him um, years ago with Locrian. So when is, uh, when is the new record coming out? Or is it July out? July 24th. Yeah, uh, July 24th. Oh, so yeah. it's still a few weeks away. It is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is, but, but that's uh, um that's cool that you're it's coming out on the 24th and this tour is in is in August so it's timely yeah and we're doing we're doing some dates we're doing um 
July 19th we're playing in uh, July 18th July 18th we're playing in Chicago at the Empty Bottle with Liturgy Um, and uh, and then we're going to play some other shows around the Midwest around that time uh, which is nice to be able to get together and get a little like midsummer kind of practice and some gigs with the new material and I'm really excited about that it's just be like three shows or whatever but um, I'm, I'm happy about that we're going to do that um, you know I think that anytime we can get together and play is always fun and helpful especially if we're going to do this tour in August it's like nice to kind of have a few shows under your belt with the new set new material kind of that you've done it before a little bit rather than like jumping in meeting in Seattle practicing for one day and like hitting the road you know it's like yeah it can be stressful it sounds like you know I mean we I'm used to it with, with them and you know we kind of like tend to you know we practice things and we kind of have an idea before we do that stuff but um, you know it definitely is uh, you know uh, you know I think that it'll be good in July to get together and do that stuff that's awesome man I'm looking forward to uh, you know someday seeing you guys here in New York again yeah right <laughs> you know Hopefully we'll get back there soon. I mean, we, we really want to, and, and I, you know, I'm sure when you know the new record comes out, I'm sure that there'll be some something nice will have be offered, and we'll we'll make that a reality. Maybe we can play with you guys. Well, I was going to suggest that, man. I say if you yeah. want to, you know, let me know in advance, and maybe we can help organize something out here. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, you know, I mean, maybe a couple. A lot of times, it just depends on you know, the timing with everybody's schedules, and then you know, just like money and all that fun stuff. Like, and everybody, since we're kind of in the Midwest I'm on the coast or whatever but I'm on the coast it makes things a little bit easier when we do East Coast stuff because it's like we got a home base and practice base and all that stuff that we can we, that we normally need or whatever but they have it there in Chicago too like they have practice space and everything but. I just imagine you guys practice space just being like just all <laughs> loaded with stuff yeah, you know I mean? like gear. Yeah, like gear and like electronics. Yeah, economical setup, actually. I, 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 you know, uh, it can be, I guess. You know, <laughs> um, especially when we're writing, we can kind of like pull out a lot of junk, and then we kind of like, but we want like cutting the things down. And in the studio, it's a lot of stuff. I mean, there's no doubt about oh, it. Oh yeah. Like I, 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 I look like 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 Rick Wakeman or something. Like that. <laughs> I just have like like stacks of synthesizers around me and and a cape on. Uh, yeah, my cape. I, <laughs> Reflective cape, um, and uh, <laughs> you know, like we, because I, I tend to like when I see, I'll borrow a bunch of old synths from people I know, and they have some old synths there that I like to use, and just really weird kind of things you would never bring on tour or bring out in public because it's really rare and really temperamental. Yeah. Um, but like they have a Mellotron, I love using that uh, electrical audio. It's a great, great instrument. Do you guys? Do you guys record there in in uh, in, in Chicago? At, yeah, at, the last. Um, Three things we recorded. Yeah, um, we did the Mama for well. First thing it was the Mama for collabor- collaboration there, and that was great. And then um, we did uh, Return to Annihilation there, back in Studio B, like where Neurosis records. Yeah, and um, just the drums in there just sound massive. You know, like that's what, and that's what. I mean, I, I'm I'm using direct lines on most of my stuff. I don't really care like, that much, right? But. Um, you know, the amp sounds, the way they mic things. I like how we do our vocals, you know, it's like some clean, some stuff through effects, stuff through amps, you know, like just this neat way of, you know, one vocal track might have like five mics on it, five different, you know, or two directs and three mics, kind of different placements and stuff. It's kind of neat how they, how, we were with Greg Norman 
so he just approaches things this really creative way I think and um, the drums always sound awesome the guitars always sound really good you know like um, they know how to get a good sound of everything they have and we played some I know Andre played like some weird Valeno this like all aluminum guitar that Kurt Cobain used on In Utero that was oh, okay. kind of weird yeah <laughs> I think I know, I've heard about those I think yeah. There's a couple of companies now that make aluminum guitars. Yeah, but it's like, I guess, like, there's, like, some, I don't know. I don't know that much about this thing, but it's, like, a really rare guitar, and they have it. They've had it for a long time. It looks ridiculous. Um, it has this, like, ridiculous headstock. It does not look cool at all. And yeah. <laughs> it's, like, has these funny points going in different directions or whatever. Oh, wow. um, but the sound is awesome. I mean, it's a beautiful, clean tone. Um, and distorted it's pretty abrasive and it, it sounds nice and there was this weird Fender hollow body that Andre found and we played a, we played a bunch of songs on it and then Greg was like oh that's the Bush guitar <laughs> <laughs> and it said that Gavin Rosdale bought it for Steve Albini after he recorded Razorblade Suitcase yeah <laughs> I was <laughs> like it, but it's a beautiful guitar it yeah. sounded it sounded great. It was a really is a custom hollow body Fender, beautiful sound, really full, just great, great, great guitar. Um, we were like, you know, he told us that after we recorded like three or four songs of it, you know, and we're just like, this thing sounds amazing. Like, it sounds beautiful, clean, sounds heavy, um, distorted. It was just like this great guitar, and uh, it's just a funny thing that you go into when you're go to electrical audio <laughs> you know it's like you know uh, it's 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 an, you know you kind of run into some of these elements of history or whatever music history and it's pretty cool like the I use this EDP wasp this old this early synthesizer that apparently White House used oh, on no Birdseed damn um, and that's one of the reasons why I like going there is because I like that weird little noisy toy synthesizer that White House used you know I've never been to Electrical Audio, man. I'd like to go there someday, even just to tour it and check it out. Yeah, it's a cool spot. I mean, they're very serious, and um, I mean, yeah, they're like, they're fun guys to be around, like, and, you know, and but uh, you know, they take what they're doing really seriously, and they know they have a lot of knowledge, and um, you know, I mean, I, I know Greg probably the most, um, but I know that a lot of people there, like, they're they're really good at what they do. Um, and uh, I mean, I don't know. It's, it'll it would be hard for me to go somewhere else, you know, like or work with another person, because Greg did. He's done three records with us, and just kind of knows a lot of the sounds we're looking for, and we can communicate really efficiently with him. And um, you know, there's no like, um, you know, if something doesn't sound right, like he'll be the first guy to chime in and you know fix the take. And you know, we kind of it's just nice to have that rapport with someone you can trust, you know, and whoever they are but I, I really like him and I really like the work he does for us and you know he tends to take a lot of attention with our with our stuff and you know a lot of times we'll go in and the song will be kind of like a sketch and we use the studio as a way to kind of flush it all out and you know he doesn't he never gets irritated with that or you know like he always offers good suggestions and you know whatever they are with the, trying different amps different instruments you know different approaches to the things in the song or something it's nice no, that sounds cool man I'm looking forward yeah. to hearing the entire record 
Sure. Yeah. yeah. You know. Soon, I guess. <laughs> so, well, you know, thanks for uh, for taking time out, you know, and sure, and uh, you know, it was, it was a great, great, great conversation here. I thought. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, man. of course, dude. So, how can uh, how can people find you online? Like, you know, where, where are all the websites? You know, Twitter accounts, all that. You know, jazz. <sighs> well, uh, Twitter's low Korean official. Um, and uh, uh, I'm just Tan Tan you know on Twitter and Instagram or whatever and um, but uh, and then uh, our website is locreanband.com I think yeah <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been on the website in a while <laughs> uh, and so um, uh, yeah, you know, we're on Facebook and all that stuff and we're, we're, you know, we're pretty active on it. Right now we're doing like a countdown of all these releases we've done over the last 10 years. Um, so like cassette tapes, CDRs, you know, split seven inches. Um, uh, we're, we've been going back. We're finding old posters, uh, from shows we did with just crazy bills and just trying to post, post them up on Instagram to get, you know, like we're going to do some, and when November comes around, we're going to do something in the, in the fall. Um, for the celebrate our 10 year anniversary and we're really excited about it um and um we'll be announcing that kind of soon um but uh you know it's been you know it's been fun to kind of go back and find like our first cdr demo and split cassette that we dubbed ourselves and handmade the covers and everything you know like it's been a lot of fun uh, to go back and I moved past a lot of that stuff. I'm kind of right. We're in like 2011, like right before we signed to Relapse. So right now, we're. I just posted like some pictures of. Um, we did this seven inch for this label called Flinko Sound System, um, out of Chicago, and uh, we covered a Popovu song. The only cover we've ever recorded was a Popovu cover, and uh, and um, and then we had an original on the B side, and it's this nice leather pressed sleeve and stuff that the label did. It was really, it was really cool. I, I hadn't listened to it in a long time. It was fun to pull it out and listen to it and um, think about that stuff. Like, it was a fun, fun record. That's awesome, man. I hope that yeah. you check all that stuff out. Please do, definitely. All right, man. So, um, right. so yeah, thanks to everyone out there for listening. And, uh, you know, I'll see you guys soon. And uh, take it easy.
information I need to know, be aware of? Hanum. Just Hanum. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. No, I don't know. Hanum. I know some people have. Yeah, I get some. I get some interesting ones. Hanum. That's Hanum. Uh, oh. I don't know. I guess it's like Dutch or something, but. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> there's a, uh, you know, like a, in Thailand, there's the god Hanuman, which is, um, yes. you yeah. know, like the, it's like this That's monkey right. god. And, uh,